podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson. I'm the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined as always by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, it's been a while. How are you holding up, and what did you think of those expanded playoffs? Um, I kind of liked them, to be honest. It was kind of a fan festival of the entire month of October, so I don't think it's necessarily something I want to see every year, but I kind of liked it this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely had its ups and downs. Um, On the whole, I enjoyed having more baseball as opposed to less baseball, uh, especially these days. Yeah. Um, I think the World Series was a lot of fun, a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of fun games in there. Yep. Um, but I'm also ready for, obviously I wish they were still playing, but I'm ready for um, what looks like it's going to be a pretty interesting off season. In various ways, which we'll get into. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so that's that's going to be our main topic of the day, kind of looking at uh, looking at how the values have changed since we last spoke at the end of August, um, looking at what this off season is looking like, because it's looking like one of the weirdest we've seen in a while, one of the hardest to gauge. We've already seen some pretty big surprises, and it's everyone's trying to recalibrate right now, and uh, yeah. we're in that same boat. Yep. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Um, we're also a little bit later going to talk about Nolan Arenado. Um, John was a little bit early to this whole uh, let's this whole uh, budget crisis that MLB is facing, um, and he discussed. Back in September, why Nolan Arenado, who was getting some trade buzz at the time, why his values tanked, why uh, his contract is so much more difficult to move now. So we'll get into that. Um, and f- but first, let's uh, let's dive into the news. Um, obviously, it's been about a month since we last spoke. A lot has happened in that time, so we're just gonna uh, a month, two months, two months. Wow, it's been two months. <laughs> um, so. Uh, we're just going to dive into some of the more recent stuff. Um, first off, the six players who were extended qualifying offers this offseason. We've got Trevor Bauer. That was a no-brainer. DJ LeMahieu, JT Realmuto, George Springer, also no-brainers. Yep. Marcus Stroman, who was a bit of an edge case, but you can you can see it. And then Kevin Gosman, who I think was the biggest surprise. Um, so of those six, uh, what, are, what are your thoughts, John? So <clears throat> when I looked at the numbers for Kevin Gosman, you know, back at the trade deadline, he was doing okay, doing good, doing well, you know, he was a bit of a trade ship, but it was interesting that um, they didn't trade him, and then, you know, he really had a good September. So uh, I was doing the pitcher updates the other day, and I said, wow, actually, he's really good. And, and his, you know, his field value kind of went up to right around 20, and I thought, okay, he's not as much of an edge case as I first thought. Um, and if he declines, they can get the Giants can get a, a draft pick. And if he if he accepts, I'd say it's a little. I mean, it's fair. It's a fair price, right? <clears throat> Eighteen nine is a fair price for him. You know, a lot of people think it's a little bit high, but look, they need pitching. They can afford it. And one of the few teams that has has money to, to play with this year. So, you know, it's 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 a win win. If he accepts it, great. He's in the rotation. If he doesn't, they get a draft pick. It's okay. Yeah, it seems like a strategy the Giants are not afraid to do at all. They did it last year with both Madison Bumgarner and Will Smith. Yeah. And now Bumgarner, it's a different case. Lifelong Giant, you knew he was going to decline the qualifying offer. But Smith, looking back especially, is pretty interesting, um, considering he's nowhere near the reliever that Liam Hendricks is, but in this new market and on a different team, a team with budget issues in Oakland. Uh, Oakland did not extend the qualifying offer to Hendricks, but last year the Giants did to Will Smith. Um, but it seems like their general strategy for all three of those guys has been, we don't 
think we can get much for a couple months of them or a month of them at the trade deadline. So why not hang on to them if we can bring them back? Great. We like having them on the team and we have the money to afford them even on that qualifying offer. Or if they decline, we'll take the draft pick. It'll probably be more than what we get at the deadline anyway. Yeah. And look, I think a lot of this is kind of a gamble. Um, It's probabilistic. I remember when uh, the Dodgers uh, gave a QO to to Hunjin Ryu, I think two years ago now. And, you know, it was it was doubtful at the time, but it turned out to be the right move for them because he ended up having a good season. And I have a chart that I kind of made for myself. And when I look at kind of what their field value would be projected to be in, in our system in the coming year and what's the probability. So if the, if the QO is 18.9 million, like, like it is this year, if they're anything just over that, you know, then that means, okay, that's like 100% probability. It's a win-win, as with Gosman's case. If it's under that, then it kind of skews kind of step by step down. Like, you know, maybe it's like a 75 to 25. And then it's a, if it's at like, if they have a field value of like 15, yeah, it's a 50 50. That's where Ryu was a couple of years ago. So I think, you know, at, at this market, as you get down the line to guys like that who might get, you know, might be worth 13, 14, 15, they're probably not going to get an offer. And sure enough, they didn't. But guys who were up there, like 18, 19 or above, did. Um, I'll jump the gun on you because you're going to talk about Marcus Stroman next. He was the one that I didn't quite see getting quite, you know, deserving of that in, in our in our model. You know, he was kind of in the mid-teens, but I think the Mets can afford to gamble on it for various reasons. Yeah, I, I feel like Stroman's always been kind of weird in a lot of different ways, and even more so this last season with his, uh, his opt-out and the injury he was battling very difficult to value he's always he's, he's never been a high strikeout guy but he's always seemed to have success and he has this reputation for having a lot of success that i'm not sure he's entirely earned um he's he's an interesting case here and i'm going to be keeping a close eye on him on all off season um the, the one thing i wanted to add there is that it's it's not always kind of what you were alluding to it's not always as simple as oh if they're worth more than the qualifying offer they're going to be offered the qualifying offer right. if they're worth less they're not going to be offered because when you look at like someone like will smith from last year he's not going to produce 18 million of, in, of value on the field the next year but he might want that three or four year deal at a lower aav which is what he ended up getting from the braves and so especially with those reliever types where it becomes very difficult. It's not It's not just, okay, they're worth X amount, they're not going to get the qualifying offer, or, oh, they're worth X amount, they're going to accept the qualifying offer. It's it's a very personal decision, and a case-by-case decision of <clears throat> where is this guy in his career? Does he value the high payday in a single season, or is he like Liam Hendricks? Liam Hendricks has something like 12 mil in career earnings, and he's in his early 30s. I, Yeah, I mean, the, the qualifying offer would be a big deal to him, I'm not sure he would have accepted it, though, because he knows he can get three years somewhere else. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we should also keep in mind the reliever market is um, there's a ceiling on it. You know, think about, you know, what a role does Chapman's getting, what Kenley Jansen's getting, what Wade Davis got a couple of years ago. It's in the high teens, right? So the qualifying offer is right there at the ceiling, you know, and, and only like the most elite ones at the time, I think, are generally the ones that are going to get it. And this year, there's some other challenges we'll get into, so I'm not surprised that a reliever didn't get one. Handful of other names that were kind of discussed but didn't end up getting them. Um, I already mentioned Hendricks, Marcus Semyon in Oakland as well. He just had kind of a down year in 2020, and at that point, 
Oakland can't afford to, <laughs> where their budget is right now, even in a non-COVID year, they can't really afford to have 19 mil taken up on the payroll yeah. by one guy. Um, you also got Michael Brantley in Houston. He had kind of an up and down year. Um, I remember his value felt like it fluctuated a lot during during mm-hmm. updates in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, got Masahiro Tanaka in New York. Got Didi Gregorius, Anderson Simmons, a handful of others I'm missing here. But uh, <clears throat> nobody that was too, too surprising that they didn't get that offer. And a lot of the guys you just mentioned are sort of on the downsides of their careers, like Gregorius yeah. and Simmons and Brantley. I mean, they're, you know, getting in their 30s and, you know, they're still – productive players but they're not worth as much especially when you consider like aging curve you know performance declines and injury risk you know and things like that you have to factor all that stuff in and i can see why they they weren't offered that money as a result and in a normal year maybe some of them are um maybe some teams decide to go a little bit more aggressive this season early indication is that the giants might be that team that's kind of zagging while everyone else is zigging um and the mets Yes, yes, in the Mets. Um, and that's exciting for the Mets with their new owner. Uh, maybe they're finally going to open up the checkbooks, and it's going to be in a market where that is very beneficial. Yeah, and that's another thing that played into the Stroman thing. I think, well, they haven't taken over yet, but they're anticipating that, I think. But, um, you look, suddenly the Mets have the, the richest owner in the game by far. He's eager to make an impact, you know, and, and you know, get some goodwill going with the fan base, kind of re-energize things. And he didn't lose any money you know, this past year, yeah. he didn't own the team. So, like, okay. <laughs> Mets fans got to be excited. <laughs> and they have a pretty decent base to start with. They got one of the best pitchers in the game. They got an interesting enough roster there. It's, it's yeah. an exciting time to be a Mets fan. <clears throat> I can't wait to watch how they screw it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they could, they, they could, or they could just, like, you know, run the market on all the top free agents. Now, that would probably be a little too much too soon. And yeah. I know that um, I've at least been hearing and reading, you know, that, that they're going to want to establish a sustainable model going forward. So revamp their analytics investments and really kind of, you know, set, you know, what the Dodgers did when they were sold about 10 years ago. You know, do the same kind of thing. Get a smart guy in to run the thing, revamp all the operations, set it up for sustainable success long term, then make some short term decisions. Yeah, but there's no reason that couldn't go hand in hand with a JT Real Muto or a oh, it's Trevor Bauer. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, um, but, but you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if they can go like run the table on it. Oh, right, let's just right. buy all of them, you know. But they can, yeah. yeah, I could see them getting two or three of those guys. They're not gonna pull. A, was that was that 2013 Yankees, 2014 yeah. Yankees <laughs> when they <laughs> when they just bought everyone? They're, they're not gonna be doing that. <laughs> well, Steinbrenner did it in the 70s too. That's what's right. at the, yeah. the mark. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. So from there, uh, we got a handful of option decisions. Uh, most of these we'll, we'll get a little bit more in-depth on later in the episode. One I really definitely wanted to hit on was Corey Kluber. Uh, we discussed him at length on an earlier episode of the podcast, and our, our kind of consensus there was after the injury and the lost season in 2020. Uh, he's not worth his $18 million option, but Texas, I could see them trying to bring him back on a smaller one-year deal, and that looks like it's going to be the case. They officially declined his option a few days ago. What's your outlook for Corey Kluber? Um, I think he's one of these guys that needs a one-year show-me deal because now it's been two lost years for him, and he's only getting older. And you know, uh, you know, we had concerns. Remember when he was traded, and it, because he was coming off a bad year and he had some injuries and so on. Um, and then, in a way, we're not surprised when he had another lost year. So, 
But it, in this market, and the timing is even worse for him because, you know, um, I think he's going to be kind of further down the list of guys who, you know, we're already seeing older, expensive guys, you know, getting sort of valuation haircuts, if you will, going for less than what they would. So if you imagine a guy who hasn't done anything in two years, he's going to get even less than he would have in a normal market. So, um, you know, I'm curious to see how far he's going to fall. I'm not in the business of predicting free agent prices, but I know that, you know, he's not going to be at the top of anyone's list for all of right. those concerns. <clears throat> it is a relatively weak starting pitching market, but it's also just a not, – not much money is going to be spent in this market anyway. So maybe that kind of balances itself out. Yeah. All right, then we got the Cleveland Indians, um, which we will get more in depth into depth to later. Uh, but they declined options on Carlos Santana. Seems kind of like a no-brainer. Domingo Santana, no-brainer. And Brad Hand, <sighs> which <laughs> that was a hold. That was kind of our first warning sign that okay, things are things are getting weird. We we had we had the idea we've expected for a while that okay, finances could be a little bit wonky this offseason. And I mean, it is Cleveland. They're not the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they're not the happiest spenders. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but Brad Hand, phenomenal 2020 season, still a pretty solid reliever. 10 million option, and they decided to waive him instead. So don't want to spend too much time on that. That'll be discussed a little bit more later. Yeah. Uh, the Rays also. A little bit more expected because they're the Rays, but they declined their option on Charlie Morton. Um, yeah, that didn't surprise me. He's going to be 37 next year. He showed some signs of decline. You know, his injury risk is climbing. You know, I think he's worth more like 10, in a, you know, even in a normal market. So, you know, <clears throat> his best days are behind him, and he's down. He's on the downside of the curve. So I can see a, a team like the Rays, knowing that, they're not going to – you know they're very ROI driven, so they're they're not going to overpay for anybody. Mm-hmm. Interesting to see what Morton does. He's discussed an earlier retirement um, in the past, and he's discussed his preference to stick around in Tampa Bay. Recently, he's also said he'll look into other options, um, but he does live in the Florida area, and it'll be interesting to see if he heads back to Tampa. Um, mm-hmm. Then the last one, the other big one that we will be hitting on later, is Colton Wong. St. Louis Cardinals declining his option, which was definitely a surprise. Yes. Wong and okay. Hand are the two big surprises there, so we'll right. talk about those right. more. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so before we get into them a little further, let's let's talk about Nolan Arenado. Um, pretty, so, pretty universally accepted as one of the best third basemen in the game. Had a bit of a weird 2020 season. Um, not, not quite his usual standard. Um, in 2019, his defense wasn't quite uh, rating out where it normally would on defensive metrics. Um, so he's, he's in a, a bit of a weird spot of his career. He's dealt with some injuries. I believe it was it a shoulder injury this yeah. year. Yeah. Um, and he's on that difficult, large, weird contract. So, so run me through what has happened to Nolan Arenado over the past six, eight months. <clears throat> so we have his value at um, like minus 43.7 close to minus 44 and when i first wrote this article i thought oh my gosh this is a bold prediction um because we ran the numbers and i, I really dug into it now it doesn't seem so bold at all <laughs> now it seems like yeah that's a bad contract um but let me just sort of bring in you know kind of what i was thinking at the time so so obviously he had a bad year uh, at the plate and it looks even worse when you dive into it um 
you know, his his all of his peripherals were bad. His ex woba was well below average. His WRC plus was seventy six. That's twenty four percent below his average. His power fell off. Um, you know, just everything that could go wrong. And even outside of um, outside of Coors Field, he had a sixty six WRC plus. So he really was struggling at the plate. He was fine on defense, by the way. He might just win another Gold Glove. He probably will. But the uh, the, the offense was bad. And so you think, okay, was that a, dro- a normal performance decline, a normal drop-off? Was it due to the weird season, or was it due to an injury? He did get injured, you know, diving for a ball. But the thing is, <clears throat> you have to explain that somehow. If you attribute it to performance decline, then, you know, his valuation goes down and his contract looks even worse. But if you say, no, nope, it was just because of the injury, I can accept that. That's fair. And but he's also now turning thirty, and each time he dies for a ball, you run the risk of another season collapsing, and you're still paying him thirty-five million a year. So like either way, you know, either way you slice it, whether it's due to performance decline or injury or some combination of both, he's getting older, he's getting riskier, his de- best years are probably behind him at least offensively. Either way, you've got a whole bunch of risk there. <clears throat> um, he's still owed one hundred ninety-nine million on his contract. So, especially in this market, I don't, I, I can't imagine why anybody would touch that. Now, there was a lot of talk before this of, oh, he might opt out after this season. I'm sorry, but he's not opting out. He would be foolish. I mean, he's not walking away from that kind of money, especially after the year he's had, even if he has a product, more productive and more quote-unquote normal for him year in 2021. I don't see him getting that. And if you imagine at age 31 entering the market, going in, you know, a, you know, and that's going to be a pretty flush uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, free agent market with all those great shortstops coming on. I don't see him competing with that. I don't see I don't see other people wanting to take that contract at that point because they're only going to be getting the down years, the negative surplus years at that point. 32, 33, 30, he's going to get well into his 30s and get worse and worse. Why would anybody take that? Why would he, And why would he walk away from it? Because he's not going to get a better contract than that. So he's stuck there. <clears throat> and the Rockies are going to be stuck with him. And, you know, any, any sort of, I know there was, you know, some conflict there last offseason, but I'll tell you what, when he looks at the numbers or talks to his agent and, you know, about the numbers, he's like, nope, <laughs> I'm not opting yeah. out. You know, so they're stuck with him. He's talking, and maybe, maybe it'll all work out in the end and they'll make nice and maybe that's fine. And, or maybe they, the other option is they can kick in a bunch of money and trade him. <clears throat> but it would have to be, like I said, a good bunch of money, like $50 million or so, just to get anything back, I think, at this point. But then you'd be risking the PR outcry. The fan base would, you know, have may have a problem with it. I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't. Um, he's a big star, maybe. But I don't know. I just think that's a long shot. I think everybody's kind of stuck at this point. It's a bad contract. Arenado's walking, not walking away. The, you know, the, the Rockies are not going to be able to get out of it unless they kick in a whole bunch of money. So it's just rocking a hard place, unfortunately. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, if the numbers were a little closer, you can say, okay, maybe he'll opt out just to get out of there, have his own decision, his own free agency. Maybe it'll cost him a couple bucks, but it's not the end of the world. He'll still get a, a solid deal. But there, the numbers aren't close. It's, yeah, it's like you said, it's almost we're pushing toward negative fifty on his value. Um, yeah. The only the only way I could even conceive it is if he just goes nuts in twenty twenty one. Has a has a usual Arenado season plus, isn't it? Just MVP caliber, and maybe some of the other competition on the market. All those young shortstops that you mentioned, the Correas, the Lindors, yeah, um, Seager, Baez, 
I believe Seeker's on that in Story. that class as well. Yeah. Story, yeah. Um, if they a, a couple of them struggle, maybe take some. Maybe they lose a couple mil on their deals, and then he he becomes one of the more attractive options on that market. Seems like a real long shot, though. Yeah, um, that's if everything. I mean, that's the high 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 end case, right? Yeah, that's and, and that's even assuming well. a full 162 game season. That's assuming a full bounce back from this COVID this COVID uh, budgetary crisis we're seeing right now. Right. Yeah, and um, I wrote this article before it was clear what impact that would have on the market. Now it's becoming clearer, and it's even mm-hmm. it's an even stronger case now that, that no one's going to touch that. Yeah, rock in a hard place is a very good way to put it. Um, I, I, maybe this is a lazy comparison, but it's something I noticed very recently. I, uh, Matt Chapman had a very similar season yeah. in a lot of ways um, between injury, between underperformance offensively. He was striking out all the time. And, and obviously the Chapman Arenado parallels go on yeah. forever, uh, go on back to high school. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Chapman, we had him well over 100 mil in surplus value, I believe, entering the season, at least before it was all cut short and everything. And now I looked at him the other day, and he's he's in the mid-50s. Yeah, part and of that is just the effect of time, though, uh, because mm-hmm. he's running out of service time. He's only got three years left, and right. these are the Arb years, right? So he's starting to get expensive and short. So that's a, that would have gone down anyway. So, but then to your point, I'm sorry to jump in, but to your point, you know, the injury and the, and the underperformance also hurt that as well. And in both of these cases, you're seeing where obviously they're losing their highest surplus season. Yeah, exactly. The one that, that has just passed was going to be the most valuable on that contract or on their years of team control. Yeah. It's only going downhill from there. That's right. That's right. So in conclusion, Arnado's probably not going anywhere. It's going to be really tough to move him if he is. He just might be stuck between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sorry and to say. That was maybe prescient to see that a month and a half ago for <laughs> before the way we've seen the market tank in the last week. But hey, so. look, I'm sorry to, to paint it such a negative picture. If you're a Rockies fan, if you love Arenado, you're going to have him for a while. So that's yeah. I'm sure you're happy about that. Yeah. And even <clears throat> I don't think either of us believe that this is his this this is who he is going forward. Just the plus glove, 85 WRC plus. I don't think either of us believe that. Um, we have to we have to plug those numbers in when it comes to his value. We have to believe the numbers. We have to worry about the injury. But I think you and I both still think Nolan Arenado is a very good baseball player, just he, not yeah, necessarily I mean, worth his contract. No, exactly. I mean, his his field value is well up into the you know <clears throat> in the hundreds, you know. So that means he's a really good player, you know. Then let's let's keep that point. That's a good point. You know, it's just right. that he's making way too much money relative to right. that. All right. So from there, let's head into our trade of the week. Um, as usual. Um, I guess not as usual. It's been two months, but uh, we're starting up trade of the week again. Uh, feel free to submit trades onto this trade proposals onto the site. If it gets enough attention, enough likes, we'll take a look and maybe feature it on the episode. So this week comes from user Spikes, and it's Brewers, Phillies, and it's a bit of a weird one, but also a very popular one. It's got 20 likes to 7 dislikes. So the Brewers are adding third baseman Alec Bohm who we have at 38.4 mil in median surplus value, as, as well, well as left-handed pitcher Jojo Romero, uh, who we have at 2.7 mil. 
in exchange for lefty reliever Josh Hader, who we have at 22.3 mil, and lefty reliever Brent Suter, who we have at 17.7. Uh, those two headed to the Phillies. So the values are pretty balanced. We got 41-1 against 40. I'm not sure about this trade at first glance. What do you think? I wasn't either. I had to think about it for a moment. I'm surprised it's gotten so many likes. Um, but it's a really, I think it's a, a it's a sneaky, smart trade, actually. Um, I think the first thing that jumps out at me is the Phillies, of course, needed a lot of bullpen help this past year if they wanted to compete. And this is you know one of the best relievers in baseball and Josh Hader that they'd be getting. In addition, Brett Suter, who's been quietly very good as well, who can either start or relieve, kind of a swingman type, still has a lot of surplus. So they're getting two high-quality pitchers to kind of help them out. Um, so I can see the, the popularity of it from, uh, from the Phillies' point of view. Um, and, you know, the Brewers' point of view, you know, with the emergence of Devin Williams, is uh, they've got a new closer, and, it's, and you know, I'm seeing a lot of trades involving Hater on our site, and, and you know, and even people, people are naturally coming to the conclusion that Hater is movable now because they don't need him as much, and they need other holes, you know, other holes to fill. So, like, Bohm would fit that third base hole. Um, and, you know, six years of control, you know, really, you know, one of the rookie of the year candidates. I, it's quality for quality. So I think it makes sense now when you look at it. Yeah, I see no issues from the Brewer side of this. I think if you are moving Hater, you're hoping to get a Bohm type. Obviously, the values there don't line up perfectly. If you're the Brewers, you can't be hung up on moving a 30-year-old lefty who throws 86 in Brent Suter. Um, he's very good, but he's not the kind of guy that you, uh, you that makes or breaks this deal. That you say, uh, no, no, I'm keeping him. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep him instead of getting Bohm. Yeah. Uh, that, that's not who Brent Suter is. So I think from the Brewers' side of this, yeah, they get their a franchise cornerstone type third baseman um, to add to what was kind of an inconsistent offense last season. The Phillies, it's harder to see. Um, as you, you did mention, the bullpen was historically bad last season it was incredible incredible to watch <laughs> um and hater makes sense as a natural target there but they're also the phillies and they have they have some money to spend they're they're my number one landing spot for liam Hendricks. it seems like every few years they do that thing where they give the top closer on the market a three or four year deal and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't whatever yeah. it's the phillies yeah. um he makes a lot of sense for them i think and it's I don't know if they can this obviously boosts their bullpen in a huge way um, even if even if you are a little bit suspect of hater the kind of weird year he had last year weird playoffs all that um, this obviously boosts their bullpen in a big way I'm not sure if this is the avenue they take to boost their bullpen I think I think losing Bohm is tough for them I think they really like what they saw from him last season um, they know they know a 410 Babbitt isn't sustainable, but they also expect a little more power than they saw from him yeah. uh, to develop. So I think I think he's a tough tough piece for them to move. It is. I think it depends on whether they want to win now or not. I mean, this is one of those things where you often hear like, oh, it's got to sting a little bit on each side, and mm -hmm. this one does. Um, but I agree with you also from the Phillies perspective. Like, Baum is the kind of guy you keep and you build around, right? And you can see him like you know just developing even further and his value going up from here so it would be it would yeah that that's painful <laughs> and also their yeah. farm is not strong at all like he was their top prospect and they don't have much else coming up so uh 
you know, <laughs> from a sustainability standpoint, it yeah, it's tough to move that one guy. Um, so it really depends on what your priority is. They're definitely in a tough spot. They've been floating around 80, 81, 82 wins the last three or four years. And regardless of what they've done, they've brought in JT Real Muto. They brought in Bryce Harper. They brought in Zach Wheeler. It hasn't fixed anything. They're still just floating around that 500 mark. Yeah. And, and, and the question is, in, in an offseason where they're losing Real Muto, it looks like, is this the type of move that is this the is this where they fire their bone bullet if they decide they are willing to move him? Or is there a different impact move that they need him for? Well, they also don't have a GM right now, so who knows? True. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I was going to say, you know, you, you signed Bryce Harper for, you know, over $300 million two years ago, and he's still in his prime. In fact, he had a great year. Not that We haven't talked about that that much, but he really had a good bounce back here. And so if you want to kind of – it's similar to the situation with Trout and the Angels. Like if you want to take advantage of your star while he's in his prime, maybe you should go for it, right? <clears throat> yeah. So it's an interesting off season there in Philadelphia for sure. Yeah. Um, but especially for Real Moto, but also just to see what they do with that bullpen. Um, and this is certainly an option. It's not a move I'd make if I were the Phillies, but I can see I can see the uh, the thinking that went into this, and I can see why so many people would agree with it. Um, so that's our trade of the week. Again, it was brought to us by Spikes. Thanks a lot, Spikes. Um, and as usual, feel free to submit your own proposals. Maybe you'll end up on the show. Okay, let's talk. We've, we've talked a lot about the past. Let's talk a lot more about the future and the weird off-season that we currently find ourselves in. Um, actually, let's start by talking a little bit more about the past <laughs> and uh, go into the updates that we made at the end of the season. Um, we rolled those out throughout the playoffs updating for the month of September as well as the month of October, the playoffs. What were your biggest takeaways from those updates? So I think the biggest thing jumped out at me is there are a lot of there were a lot of surprise performances from like under performances from stars. Chris Bryant, mm-hmm. Javier Baez, Gary Sanchez, Cody um, Bellinger. Cody Bellinger, although he kind of made up for it and yeah. you know kind of got hot there, especially in October. But um, you know Especially these guys, you know, like in the case of Bryant and Baez, they're coming up on their walk years and their values have tanked. And um, I think we'll probably talk about them more in, in coming episodes. But that's just top of my head. The, the you know, the amount of kind of big names that, that struggled. Yelich struggled as well. Um, and you think, okay, maybe it was the weirdness of the season. Maybe they didn't get a proper spring training. It was interrupted and they had to start again. And then they were just like, sometimes hitters take a little while before they get in the groove. And so you think, okay, Maybe that's the case, but then that doesn't explain all the breakouts you saw from other guys, you know, and you know the Rosarinas and and you know guys who kind of came out who who weren't bothered by that at all, um, you know. So I'm not sure you can pin you you can excuse it on the weirdness of the season. Um, I think there are some legitimate problems going on with some of these guys. Gary Sanchez strikes out too much. It's getting worse and worse and worse to the point where the Yankees have had enough and they kind of benched him. You know, um, so, yeah, and, you know, it gets to a point where pitchers figure these guys out, you know, they exploit their weaknesses. And if the guys don't, the hitters don't bounce back, you know, don't readjust, you know, this is what you're going to find. I think it was more a case of that. Yeah, I think when you look case by case, you find some that, as you mentioned with Gary Sanchez, 
or maybe you take a Javier Baez, who's always been something of a free swinger, and this season that was even more apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, you take those kind of guys, and it's you say, okay, maybe this is a legitimate step back. I think you can still zoom out and look on the whole and say, Christian Yelich has never been this bad. <laughs> like, this this is a career-worst season for him, essentially. Even before the breakout, he was a much more productive hitter than this. I don't think he just suddenly forgot how to hit overnight. I still think he's one of the best hitters <clears throat> in baseball. And I'm glad you pointed th- him him out because I think he was the exception. Because if you look at his peripherals, they're fine. His his mm-hmm. exit velocities and hard hit rates and you know AX woes and things like that. I you know when I looked at him, I thought, okay, he's he's all right. <laughs> you know, it's just that that's just a kind of a small sample size issue, I think. So because he's fundamentally fine, but the other guys were not, and that's why I, I took notice. Then you look at Bellinger pre-playoffs, and he's been a he's been a bit of an up and down guy for his career. He had the big season, uh, his rookie year, um, fell off a little bit. The next year, kind of bounced around a little bit. He had that one horrid stretch in the playoffs in 2018. Was that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's always been a little bit of that streaky type of hitter, but he's still always been a very good hitter. Even in his quote-unquote down year, he was still an above-average bat. I don't believe he's suddenly bad. And no. I mean, he did turn it around a bit in the playoffs there. <clears throat> Chris Bryant has always hit. Again, he's fluctuated a little bit from his bigger MVP, uh, his rookie of the year season. Um, but he's always hit. He's never been bad. And so when I look at this on the whole, try to zoom out a little bit, my gut tells me, and perhaps this... This could use a bit of a deep dive into the numbers, comparing it to previous seasons. But my gut tells me that more stars struggled this year than have in years past. And that would just make sense. If you're working with a two-month sample size instead of six, a lot of these guys would have turned their... I think we both agree, Christian Yelich, give him four more months. Maybe his line doesn't look like it did in 2019, but it looks a lot more like a traditional Christian Yelich line. He turns it around for sure given a couple more months and the chance for better batted ball luck. So it's it's tough to know how much to gauge these guys. I think we'll get into non-tenders in a couple weeks here. But the numbers initially, you glance at them and they have Baez and, <laughs> and Bryant both in that non-tender territory before we adjust for their names, basically. Yeah, so... You know, part of you know, I agree with you that you got to look at the bigger picture. Absolutely, um, our model tends to weight the most you know recent year the strongest, as all, as all valuation models do, right? But because it was a short season, you can't put it, you can't weight it quite as much you, as you would if it were a normal length. You know, so I had, to, I had to play around with a lot of sort of combinations when I was thinking about this, and so you know, it's it's closer to kind of even Steven between this year and the year before. But even so, that you know, those performances are going to tank. You know, tank's probably too strong a word, but those performances matter, and we saw that at the trade deadline, with guys who were hot, you know, having hot markets, and guys who were cold not, you know, and so, you know, it kind of validated the idea that you know, even with a one month sample size, teams were taking it seriously. So it, so yes, on the one hand, you factored in yes, it was only forty uh, percent of a season or so, even if you know they had a little bit more in the playoffs. Um, but it was still significant enough to count seriously. You can't discount it, in other words. You have to give it just the proper weighting in light of the the overall sort of body of work. Yeah. Uh, on the 
flip side of it there, I won't ask you to go into too much detail here, but the Randy Rosarenas of the world, he went off in the postseason. He turned into somebody that we had never seen him as before, and it was it was over a month of a sample. It was over essentially yeah. <laughs> in 2020 a half season's worth of games. So perhaps just just use him as a case study there. Explain how we handle that and how we account for that in the updates. Yeah, so um, we know that <clears throat> for teams that made the playoffs, you know, they're going to play more, and that those, you know, that makes it a larger sample size. For teams like the Rays and the Dodgers, who went all the way to World Series, they basically played half a season. They played three months. The other teams, you know, the ones that didn't make it played two months. So, and, and not only that, but that last month was against tougher competition. You know, I found it interesting. I was thinking about this. The the teams from the Central didn't make it very far, right? It was all the the teams that made it to the second round of the playoffs were from the East and Western divisions, and the teams that made the yeah. World Series are the East and Western divisions. And it seems like those were the tougher competition, and they faced each other. So in a way, you could not necessarily something we gave extra credit for, but it 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 made it more substantial that if you have a good performance against tougher competition like that, you know, it's more meaningful. Now. In addition to that, in guys like you know a Rosarina who are sort of still sort of coming up as prospects, and then have you know we 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 weight their um, MLB playing time with their prospect rating, you know depending on how much that balance is, right? So the more he played, and the more he succeeded, you know at the MLB level, the more it superseded his prospect you know evaluation. So it starts to kind of go up and up and up, and you went, that's why you saw him go from like the 20s the 30s 40s and we have him at 50-ish now so um and i think that's that's right about where he is now he could be a one-month wonder maybe he'll have a sophomore slump and pitchers will figure him out and he'll go down that's why we you know on paper if you just look at his mlb sample size it's relatively small but he'd be way up there a lot higher than 50 um, but that's where he is right now where we're comfortable with it um partly because he played a little bit more than he would have otherwise partly because he did so well partly because he was playing good, against good competition, and it seemed like it, the breakout was real. I uh, I caught myself kind of kind of thinking about this all the other day. I was reading a couple articles, um, kind of looking at the free agent class, and they all seemed to mention Marcus Simeon, his strong postseason. And so I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, he had a strong postseason, but he played like a handful of games. He they only made it to the uh, division series round and they were knocked out. They didn't even go to five games in the division series round. And then I, I'm thinking about it again. And they played three games in the wild card round and four in the division series. That's seven games. That's more than a 10th of the season. <laughs> so yeah, a, a solid performance in those seven games. It, it's a substantial portion of what was a very short season. And maybe it's not something that actually moves the needle on a Semyon type, but when you zoom out a little bit and look at these guys who did play, uh, through the championship series, through the World Series, it's it's a notable part of their production, especially this year. That really needs to be taken into account. Yeah, <clears throat> um, I wanted to mention one other name, just on the flip side of that. Josh Bell had a terrible season, um, and you know his team was also bad. Um, he played in the Central, and as I mentioned, no other sort of Central teams, um, you know, made it very far. So you could argue that. He had a terrible season, and it was against kind of weaker competition. Um, his evaluation now reflects that. Uh, what I think he's a potential non-tender. Some people still think he has trade value. I certainly do not. Um, and you look at the body of work, 
you see a guy who had like a hot, you know, couple months in 2019, but otherwise has been pretty pedestrian and pretty close to replacement level and was below replacement level this past year. And even right. if we sort of couch that in the waiting terms I was mentioning earlier, you know, it's still, you know, not good. In addition to which, now he's in the second year of arbitration. He might make as much as $7.2 million. I don't know why anybody would give up an asset for that. For you know, and in addition to paying him seven point two million, coming off a below replacement year, against weak competition, when you could just go out and sign Carlos Santana or whoever else for you know less than that. So I I just don't see it. So there's a case of a guy that's just it's, his value is just I, this is a little bit like the Nomar Mazzara situation a year ago when people thought yeah he still has value, still has upside, but. Look what happened. He didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he is if, what he is. <laughs> if, if Josh Bell's name was Tyler Wade and he looked like Tyler Wade, we wouldn't be having this discussion. No. <laughs> yeah. We would have said, oh, that's a little flash in the pan. We've moved on. But since he's Josh Bell, he's got the prospect type. Since he's Josh Bell and he's massive and you can't look at him and not think this guy's about to hit it 550 feet, he does have that hype still. And it's at this point, it's not warranted. Yeah, no, I think you move on. I'm very interested to see that, especially as we're going to talk here in just a second with the way finances are moving on a team that's always been penny-pinching in the Pirates. Are they really going to invest money in him, or are they going to cut him loose? Yeah. All right, so let's, let's hop <laughs> with that transition. Let's hop into that conversation about what we're seeing with the market so far. Um, the two big ones, as you mentioned earlier, Brad Hand, Colton Wong. So those both caught me off guard for sure. Yeah, first first it was Wong, and then Hand even more so. So I get it. First of all, um, teams didn't make any gate revenue at all in 2020, and they're looking at a very uncertain 2021. Are we going to have fans? It gets into bigger issues like, you know, is there a vaccine coming? When will COVID go away? And you know, when when will life get back to normal? You follow the doctors like Anthony Fauci, and they think maybe third quarter 2021, it gets very depressing, and I won't go too far into that. But my point is that teams have to plan for this because they don't know what their gate revenue is going to be, and that's a big chunk of their overall revenue. And so given that uncertainty, um, you know, they're faced with a pretty pretty serious situation. They also work for owners who, yes, they're billionaires for the most part, but they also are, you know, businessmen who kind of have learned the you know, idea of fiscal discipline right so none of them like to lose money um so you can talk about the bigger issues with rob manford saying how much we're in debt but really some of a lot of that debt is productive debt like investing in real estate i don't want to get into all those finances but i i all i want to know basically gms are being told cut your budgets by their owners that's very clear all 30 teams are in that situation with maybe the exception of the mets the yeah um what they're doing is, and I and I did such as myself. I went and looked at every single team and their highest contracts from really top to bottom. Say, okay, who's vulnerable? Uh, top to bottom, just going down the list. If they're a good player, are they worth the money? Okay, they're fine. If they're not worth the money, they're at risk. How much at risk? Well, that's where it gets into kind of market factors. So when you look at a guy like Colton Wong, pre-crisis. I, I would make the argument that he was worth $12.5 million. I know he's a second baseman. I know he doesn't have a lot of power, so you can shift against him and so on. But he's got gold glove defense. He's high on base percentage. Excuse me. He, um, he contributes a lot on both sides of the ball. He's worth, on paper, more than 12 and a half. But clearly 30 teams did not think so. So there's your first argument, uh, first haircut. When I said, okay, well, what is he really worth? I don't know yet because the market hasn't bottomed yet. 
So to make it sort of a little bit below that level, I gave him like a 33% haircut on his field value, and it sort of starts to make sense. And now you start to think, well, is the market going to discount by 33%? That's one data point. It's early yet. <clears throat> so, But then Brad Hand happened, and Brad Hand was one of the best relievers in baseball. And in a normal year, $10 million is perfectly reasonable for one of the best years in baseball. We were just talking about... Liam Hendricks, and now the Phillies, you know, might be a good landing spot for him and what might he might get. He was better than Brad Hand, but not by that much. And Hand's got a great track record, too. He knows how to pitch. And yes, he's, he's getting older. Maybe he's losing a touch of velocity, but he can still pitch, and the results show it. But, yeah, and I think what's what's super telling there with Hand is that he was waived, and that, that gives every team in baseball an opportunity to take Brad Hand on a one-year, $10 million deal. So this isn't just a case of, oh, Cleveland is cheap, so they're going to cut him loose. They gave every team, all 30 teams, the opportunity to say, hey, we'll take him at that price, and right. none of them said it. None exactly. It. So so that that's a clue that this is widespread. Um, now, from the Indians' point of view, I'm sure they were thinking, oh, we have to cut budgets. You know, they're a small market team, you know, and so um, they're making some hard decisions. They're cutting into bone now. They're not just cutting fat. So the... And I'm sure Plan A was that for them was okay. We, you know, he's going to cost us ten million. Maybe we can trade him. So you know, you know, GMs are always texting each other. So they know beforehand whether there's trade value or not, whether they can line something up before making the decision. So Plan A was trade him, get rid of the ten million dollars, and get something back. That clearly was off the table because they got to the next point, which is so Plan B was put him on release waivers. If somebody picks him up, they save ten million, um, but they don't get anything back. Plan C is, <clears throat> okay, well, nobody picked him up, so now we have to pay him the $1 million buyout. So it really yeah. saved them $9 million. Um, but it's a sad thing. And I, when I crunched the numbers on him, I really had to give him like a 50% haircut to make that make any sort of sense relative to a normal market. So that's how far down it is. So, so Wong got a 33% value haircut. Hand got a 50% value haircut. And we still don't know where the bottom is. That's how bad it's getting. Now, you could argue that Okay, Wong is replaceable because there's always a glut of second baseman. I think that's a fair point. I mean, last year there were the Kipnisses and Brian Dozier's, and there's always guys like that, right? And in addition to which, there's the shortstops that are sort of starting to get old who are kind of, you know, needing to go down this defensive spectrum. So you always have an oversupply of second baseman. So it's an easier position to feel from that res in that respect. There's always sort of a quality argument there to counter that. Like, well, there's a lot of second basemen, but how many of them are actually really good? Wong is one of the good ones. But I see the point. And the same thing could be said of relievers. There's always more relievers than you can imagine. And maybe one of them and it's volatile, and maybe one of them pops up and becomes the next, you know, Devin Williams. <clears throat> so, um, you know, there's that case. And so you can extend that to maybe other sort of cases where, okay, backup catchers are going to get hit. And uh, fourth outfielders, you know, guys that are sort of not the core members of the team, right? But you're still going to maybe think, okay, starting pitchers are going to be fine. So I mean, your your you know your heart of your lineup guys are going to be fine. We don't know that yet because we haven't seen evidence of it yet. But we know kind of guys on the periphery. I think the market is 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 saying we can't afford to pay, overpay for any of those. And so I think that's where we're at now. <clears throat> yeah, you took a lot of the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, it's okay. Uh, you covered it all very well. Um, I was just going to mention that, yeah, the relief pitcher and second base markets, um, those are typically saturated, I would say. Um, 
second base, you got DJ LeMahieu at the top, and then after that, there's a pretty solid glut there between Cesar Hernandez, Jonathan Scope, Wong, Jerickson Profar, if he's a second baseman still, Tommy LaStella, even Brad Miller had a solid year, Freddy Galvis is there, Marwin Gonzalez is there, Enrique Hernandez, Jonathan Villar, yep. and that's even before you get into the lower names, the Eric Sogards, Howie Kendricks, uh, D. Strange Gordon, Brian Dozier. Right. It's, it's a very deep position, and it's not one that teams tend to prioritize, so you can see that and say, okay, maybe maybe Colton Wong in this current market, in this current world, isn't worth his option. Right. And then you can you can do the same sort of thing with relief pitching um, from kind of a wider angle of relievers are so volatile. Obviously, hand's been good for forever, but hey, what if we find someone we like on a waiver claim or in a smaller trade, some younger optionable reliever on the MLB minimum who we think could be the same. Um, they, they have, for example, Emmanuel Classe coming back, who's always been touted as a potential relief ace. Okay, maybe we just hand the closers roll over to him and cross our fingers. It might not work out as well, but if it can save us nine and a half million dollars in this market, we're going to do it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and you can... So there's... Can, yeah, go for it. Oh, sorry. So you can... You can that makes perfect sense from the Indian's point of view because you're thinking, okay, can we get by without him? Yeah, all right. Classic comes back. We've got Karinchak, who's now kind of our new closer. Um, but it still doesn't make sense from the other 29 teams' point of view. Hey, right. you could have had Brad Hand at a discount. Not all 29 <laughs> teams have an Emmanuel Classic waiting to right. fill their bullpen spot. Um, and then, and then to what you said about starting pitching, I think that's. My, my prediction is that's the market that we see unaffected here. I think after everything in 2020, we saw a lot of pitching injuries because of the whole start and stop yeah. um, going from the shortened spring training and all of that. Um, and I think we're going to see teams generally have no idea how to handle 2021. <laughs> how, do, how do you handle having your all of your starters go from a 60-game season where they might have gotten, what, 70 innings if that 70 80 innings and now they have to ramp it back up to their 180 200 that they would normally throw during a 162 game season and that's we don't know what that does to arms we've never really had to look at that before so i think we're going to see teams placing a lot of emphasis on those starting pitchers i think this is in a weird way, the perfect time for Trevor Bauer to be a free agent <laughs> as a guy who's always touted himself for durability. Um, he's a guy who's said before that he works better on three days rest. I believe it is. Um, he's in a lot of ways as, as a pitcher, as a value producer on the field, in a lot of ways, he's the perfect free agent for a team to want to add right now. He really solves a lot of problems on the pitching side. And I think I think guys like him that are more durable, and even some guys who aren't, you got a Taiwan Walker or whoever it is, uh, they can they can still contribute innings at Brett Anderson. And so I think throughout that whole starting pitching market, I think we're going to see a lot of teams. We, we might even see a lot of teams shift towards six man rotations for next season just to try to keep everyone healthy. Yeah. And I, so there's there's going to be starting pitching jobs. 
I agree. And, you know, the demand for starting pitching always outweighs the supply in a normal market anyway. So, yeah. and you make some great points. Like, this is going to be even more of a challenge going forward. I would add that, you know, we just saw the Dodgers win the World Series, and, you know, with, you know, so many starters that they don't want to do, you know, they have Julio Urias closing out games, you know, and, you know, you see this all the time in, 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 in postseason where starters, you know, are used in relief roles, but they had le- they have legitimate, you know, they're, they're, they have so much depth that they can use it and mix and match, and the Rays do too, you know, so, you know, the league is a copycat league, and they say, okay, I need more pitching depth. So, you know, and that's just going to reinforce that point. Um, but I also sort of wanted to get back to kind of the second base point. What does that mean for a guy like Adam Frazier, who the Pirates probably want to trade? It means they're sending him into a, a market that is o- oversaturated with guys who are going to be inexpensive. You know, so would you rather pay Time of Estella, you know, $6 million a year for good production or trade for Adam Frazier is going to cost you around the same amount, you know, and give up an asset. It's not going to be good for Adam Frazier's trade value, right? So that's another sort of logical thing we can assume when we're sort of reevaluating the trade values, you know, which were set up for a normal market. We say, okay, who's going to be impacted by this? And I wanted to use that as example as a guy who would be. Same thing with other sort of relief pitchers who were maybe good but not great. I'm thinking Chris Martin on the Braves, they're not going to trade him probably because they need it. But but what if they did? He's probably not going to have a, a huge market. Guys like that, um, and then you get into like you know uh, more expensive guys in their in their final year who are good but not great. Eddie Rosario of the Twins, nobody probably wants to pay him what his arb salary is probably going to be. So he's going to be affected. He's a potential non-tender. Um, you know Tyler Naquin and guys like that who are sort of fourth outfielder types. They're not going to have much of a market. You know that are in their RB years. So I'm looking at all those guys. I'm thinking, who's going to be most affected by this? Whose trade values are going to be hurt by this market? I think those are some examples. Yeah, it doesn't help Fraser specifically that he had a pretty poor 2020. Yeah, you you gotta feel for the Pirates, man. <laughs> <laughs> what do they What do they have going for them right now? They got. I mean, Cabrian Hayes. Cabrian Hayes. Like <laughs> Build around super him. Super duper star. <laughs> And that's about it. Uh, maybe Jamison Tyon comes back next year. Musgrove. Musgrove is their yes, biggest Musgrove trade chip. I keep, I'm, I'm pounding the table on this. Musgrove doesn't get enough respect. And he's, his, his ARB salary is incredibly low. He pitched great, in, in, especially in, the, in September. Um, and, you know, he's not an ace, but he's a solid three, possible two now. And in a, in a market that doesn't have a lot of starting pitchers, we just talked about that that's going to hold up. he's got some real trade value and I think the Pirates should definitely uh, pull that trigger I think he'll always be remembered just as a piece of the Garrett Cole trade and that probably doesn't doesn't help his uh his reputation but you're right he's he's a very good pitcher and they should nothing should be tied down in Pittsburgh right now except (laughs) for Hayes exactly Uh, keep Hayes trade anyone else that people will take (laughs) get rid of Gregory Polanco, if you can, you probably can't. No. Um, get rid, get rid of everything that isn't Hayes. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, after 2020, none of them are going to return too much. As we talked, we talked about Bell. We talked about Frazier. It seemed like nobody on that team had a good season. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a pretty. So, so it's a tough spot to be in. But yeah. no, go all, go all in on Musgrove, Pittsburgh. Right. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else uh, you wanted to hit on about this uh, this weird market, weird off season? I, I would just say I still think it's um, a little bit early um, because we've only sort of had these sort of season uh, the week where we saw okay these are the guys whose options are not being picked up. 
I think we're going to see a lot more evidence when the non-tenders start to roll in. The right. potential Eddie Rosario non-tenders or, you know, it, and you might even see a big name like a, a Bryant, you know, like he's on, you know, if, if it's really bad, if they can't find a trade market for Chris Bryant, you know, I'm not sure anybody wants to pay, you know, close to $20 million a year for a guy who's just coming off another sort of down year. Um, yeah, so we might find a surprise or two in some of those non-tender decisions. So that's what we're going to be looking for. I, I, I think it's like, you know, when, the, when there's a stock market crash and people think, oh, my God, the bottom's falling out. Eventually it finds a bottom because what you find is like, okay, people start nibbling. Like, oh, that's a bargain. Oh, I like Colton Wong, $5 million or whatever. And you know, then it starts to settle because, you know, then the, you start to sort of form, you know, it's going to be a lot lower than what people thought, but it's going to hit bottom. But we don't know where that bottom is yet, so we're still waiting for that. And I think the more evidence comes in, like particularly from the non-tenders, I think we'll start to see that. There's got to be at least a handful of teams that didn't expect Colton Wong's option to be declined and who are now excited at the opportunity to sign him when they otherwise might have had difficulty trading for him. I, I have a hard time believing that all 30 teams expected him to be cut. Yeah. So there's got to be at least a handful, and that'll create some competition, and maybe it pushes his price back up to um, where it, where it, not probably not where it was, probably not up to that option value, uh, probably not to where it would be in a normal season, but it'll, it won't crater. His value hasn't cratered right. for any reason. Right. Um, it also reminds me of last season with Blake Trinan. He was projected to make, I think, high eight mil, low nine mil, somewhere around there yep. in uh, arbitration. They've tried to find a trade for him. They didn't. They non-tendered him. A couple days later, he signs with the Dodgers for 10 mil, and that was kind of a head scratcher. <laughs> um, but I, I, we don't. We still don't know if maybe they just gauged the trade market wrong, or if things changed, or if there was just competition for his services on the open market, which happens sometimes. And it, it's such a small margin that it's not really worth making a big deal of. But that's certainly a possibility for any of these guys that get cut in the coming weeks. Not only that, I just want to make one other point. Zach Britton. You know, he had this weird option that, um, or mm-hmm. yeah, weird option that the Yankees needed to pick up, or else he could have opted out after next yeah, year. Yeah, they needed. I think it was they needed to pick up his 2022 option. Yeah. Or else he could have opted out this right. offseason. That's right. Which is weird. You don't hardly ever see that. Um, mm-hmm. But they did. So Hand was just on the market for 10 million. You know, no strings attached, and even the Yankees passed on that. But they picked up Britain's option for 13. Hand was a better pitcher by all accounts last year. So, you know, there's some conspiracy theories floating around that uh, because Britain is, is, you know, Scott Boris is his agent. The Yankees want to keep a good relationship with Boris. Maybe that's a play. You know, we don't know because there's a, it's a very sort of insidery sort of market, right? So these relationships yeah. kind of dominate. And so maybe that is a factor. I don't know. Um, it, I found it very curious, though. But then again, the Yankees can afford it. It's not, a, you know, 10 million here, 13 million there is not a big deal for them. Uh, they are trying to get under the luxury tax, but again, that's not that's not super, you know, material. Uh, the difference in those. So, I don't know. I didn't I didn't think that was significant. Um, maybe I'm sure they had their reasons in it, but it wasn't like super surprising or anything. But um, mm-hmm. I just wanted to note that that's an interesting sort of twist, similar to your trying example. And it, it's one data point, obviously, but it could suggest that teams expect things to get back to normal after. Mm after this off season, after this upcoming season. It could suggest that they're willing to make that commitment for twenty twenty two. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for twenty twenty two. Yeah. Um, with the expectation that by then 
the world will be a little bit more normal. Fans will be able to attend games. Revenues will be back where they should be. Yeah, let's hope so. <clears throat> okay, so um, that got a little not fun at parts. <laughs> um, uh, very unfortunate that we have to have these discussions. Um, very unfortunate that uh, we're still living in this weird pandemic world. Um, it was nice to have baseball as a release for that for a little while. Hopefully this offseason doesn't drag on like previous ones have. Um, I have the sneaking suspicion that it might and that teams might be slow to actually scoop up some of these free agents given all the budget concerns. But uh, we'll see. Fingers crossed that it is an exciting offseason. And whether it is or isn't, we'll be there with you guys every step of the way to break down what does end up happening. Yeah, and I just wanted to add that, you know, somebody's going to zag while everybody else is zigging, right? right. Maybe it's, it's probably the Mets, and they'll set a bottom. They'll, they'll pick up a, a free agent at, at a decent price, and everybody will start to think, okay, if they can do it. Maybe the Giants follow in their footsteps, and then, you know, things start to settle. Maybe the but, Padres stay active. Yeah, yeah, and so if you're a – but there's another thing. If you're a fan of a team that wants to get a really good player – yeah, that player might fall into your lap at half of what you thought he was going to be. So, like, maybe that's a good thing. So it's just going to take a little time to play out. Right, right. Still a lot of uncertainty now. It's still very, very early in the off season. Next few weeks, I think, as you said before, the non-tenders will really tell us a lot about what this market actually looks like. Yep. Okay, so I think that's it. I think uh, we covered a lot of good stuff in this episode. Um that'll do it for this week thank you all so much for listening if you guys have any comments or questions feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on twitter at baseball values we'll be back in a couple weeks we're going to keep going with the every other week that we had uh back in july august uh we'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more off-season news and updates so until then stay safe and enjoy the beginning of the off-season thanks john thank you thanks everybody